Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. We've been talking about life in the Spirit for the past several sessions. We've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We talk, first of all, out of Romans 12 about the gifts that the Father gives you in creation and then hooks you into in new creation. We call those motivation gifts. It is you are inwardly wired and especially have a special God-given ability through what's called a charismata, a grace gift to succeed in the assignment God gives you. We talked about several of the motivation gifts that are already inside you. We talked about uh, prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and showing mercy. They are on the website. I encourage you to go back and review the teaching if need be. We were in two or three weeks of talking about the Holy Spirit's gifts. The Father's gifts we call motivation gifts. The Holy Spirit's gifts we call manifestation gifts. And the reason we call them manifestation gifts is, although the gifts that the Father gives belongs to you, the manifestation gifts belong to the Holy Spirit, and He exercises them as He wills. As he was, you can't turn them all off and on. For instance, if you had the gift of healing and you owned it, shame on you if you didn't go down and clean the hospital out. The Holy Spirit's gifts, manifestation gifts, are gifts as he wills. But the Bible tells us that we are to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And what we taught, what we saw over and over is that if I am not earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, then I'm disobeying the Word of God. I am to earnestly desire and pray for spiritual gifts. We talked about the manifestation gifts, the Word of wisdom, the Word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, miracles, prophecy, the discerning of spirit, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. We talked at length about those gifts. Now today... We come to the third category of spiritual gifts. We call those ministry gifts. And uh, you say, well, what's the difference? Because they're all involved in the ministry of Jesus. And yes, they are. Most of the time, these ministry gifts uh, uh, appear to us to be given to certain men and women in the church, sometimes they are called office gifts. I prefer to call the ministry gifts that they are more a role than they are an office. So let's take a look at them in verse 7, but to each of us, everybody say that's me. Grace was given. What is grace? God's favor, God's ability. According to the measure of Christ's gift, and therefore he says, when he ascended on high, what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead 40 days later? He did what? 
ascended where? To be with the Father. Yes or no? When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. What does that mean? All those spiritual agents under the headship of Satan were led captive when Jesus not only died, but was raised from the dead to break the power of death. When he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, he led captivity captive. What does that mean? All of those captivating spirits. Remember, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to hold you in bondage to capture you, to keep you in captivity. When Jesus ascended to be with the Father, he led captivity captive. That is, he ruined their assignment and their power, the power of their assignment over you. The devil don't have any right over you. His authority has been broken over you. Now you have to receive it by faith and operate in it in obedience. Just because a thief has no right to be in your home doesn't mean you don't have to call the police or get the authority involved. You've got to exercise it. Jesus has given us, he has brought, look, when Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascended on high to take his position before the Father to make intercession for you 24 7. Every demon of hell watched him ascend up through the atmosphere into the Holy of Holies and take his seat at the right hand of the Father, and there wasn't a thing they could do to stop it. And the Bible says, in God's eyes, you are in Christ. In Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. Your citizenship is in heaven. He led captivity captive, and notice what he did, and gave gifts to men, that is to operate on the earth. And now this, he ascended, what does it mean, but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. What are you talking about? The lower parts of the earth represented to them that waiting place of the dead. In the Old Testament, it's called Sheol in the Hebrew. In the New Testament, in the Greek, it's called Hades. Now, most of the time in our English language, we only use the word hell to describe those, those terms. But in the Jewish mind and in the biblical context, Hades was that place where the righteous believing had gone. It was called Abraham's bosom. And that place where the unrighteous, unbelieving enemies of God was called Hades. Now understand that after the resurrection of Jesus, there is no evidence in Scripture that Hades exists anymore for the believer. To be absent from the body is not an intermediate state. It's to be present with the Lord. The resurrection of Jesus broke the power and gave you instant, instant, forever abiding with the Lord Jesus. He descended, he ascended, and he gave gifts. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things, and he himself. Who's he? 
Three of you said it. Who is he? Jesus. Remember, the Father gives gifts that motivate you. You are wired that way spiritually. The Holy Spirit gives gifts that manifest themselves in the ministry of Jesus. And the Son gives ministry gifts to some. Why does he do that? We call these the gifts that Jesus Christ gives to called out servants with a life calling. These that we're about to see are given to called out servants with a life calling. Now those who have a life calling can be on an assignment, but they can't dump the calling. Sometimes Paul the apostle would stop. Here's a good example. He stopped in Ephesus and made tents for two years. He went back to secular work, but he didn't dump his calling. He just took another assignment for a specific season and reason. The Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He's not going to change his mind. God is not going to change his mind. He called you as pastors and he's not going to take it back. God is not going to take his calling back on you. You can wrestle with it. You can try to go away from it. You can try to forget it. But the callings of God are not withdrawn. Not withdrawn. You can do something else and have a measure of success, but you will never be fulfilled if you're called unless you're walking in the calling. Your daddy walked in his calling for over 40 years pastoring in this state. You're always going to carry that calling you two have. You can't get away from it. You can do something that is an assignment, but even that assignment is going to involve your calling. A calling. You're called. Teach the Word. You can do other things, but you're never going to be fulfilled unless you're teaching the Word. A calling. Who makes these choices? Notice what he says. He calls some. Can I tell you something? If you believe that you want one of these ministry gifts that involve a life's calling, before you step out and announce it, you better be sure you're called. Some of you think that all we do is, is work maybe an hour or two a week. You have no idea. Can I tell you something? If you are acting like you have a calling but that you don't, it will eat you up. When you step out in a calling, you have now become an attractive target to the devil. Why is that? Because if he can smite the shepherd, he can scatter the sheep. That's pure scripture. That's the reason I beg people to pray for me all the time. It's the greatest thing I can have happen to me. It's prayer. 
Look, people are listening to these messages all over the world. And thank you for those of you in the Netherlands who are, are beginning to listen to us probably more so than any other country. And I don't understand that, but thank you. And thank you for all of those of you in California who are outside of Alabama. You're the top state listening to our messages online. Thank you. God bless you. And all over the United States. Everybody listen to me. I've got 15 ministries that I am spiritually covering right now. I hope everybody will listen. If you don't already have it, you better invite people to pray for you every day and ask the Holy Spirit to raise up people that you don't even know to pray for you every day. Your protection and your power is not something you can generate. Your success is dependent on the prayers of the saints. And don't you ever forget that. All you are and all that I am is a servant. Notice he gave some to be apostles. Pastor, are there apostles now? Well, some say, th- some say yes and some say no. But um, I want you to notice that the first apostles, their requirements were that they had to have witnessed the ministry of Jesus and they had to actually have seen the resurrected Jesus. You remember when Judas hung himself and they had to replace him there in the first chapter of Acts? The requirements were, who has been with us and seen and observed the ministry of Jesus? Who has seen him in his resurrected person? And Matthias was chosen as that disciple, that apostle to take the place of Judas. But notice that other apostles are named in Scripture. Paul had a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He is an apostle, uh, wrote 13 books of the New Testament. James, remember James, the brother of Jesus? He didn't even believe it at one time. He went to try to talk Jesus out of doing what he was doing. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to James. You think that might change your mind? And guess what happened? James became the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. How would you like to be the pastor where the apostles are and all the spiritual giants? How would you like to be their pastor? Hey, was it a thriving church? Well, I don't know. 3,000 got saved on the streets of Jerusalem in one day of preaching. How would you like to have that? Look, he was then named an apostle. Barnabas was called an apostle. We don't know whether Barnabas observed the ministry and resurrection of Jesus or not. It's not documented for us. And there is another occasion in Acts where it seems like there could have been other apostles appointed. But understand this, but it it wasn't just the requirement of of witnessing his ministry and his resurrection Notice that the original apostles were writers of Scripture. They were overseers of the church. That is the church that was scattered.
scattered all over the Roman Empire, not just in Jerusalem. They were guardians of sound doctrine. They were settlers of disputes that arose in the churches. They preached, they taught, they counseled, they encouraged, and they suffered. Big time. So what am I trying to say? They were servants, not rock stars. I see people going around today with the title. This is apostle so-and-so. This is an apostle so-and-so. Beware of those who self-proclaim an office for their own notoriety and, and to be respected or recognized by the body of Christ. Beware. Is it true that somebody can be an apostle in the sense of a role they play? Indeed it is. There are those who are strong and mature believers who oversee ministries and ministers, who stand up for sound doctrine, who correct those who are getting out of line in the churches, who settle disputes. Mighty men and women of faith and maturity planting churches, overseeing churches, these are all in a role that is similar to apostleship. But there's never going to be a replacement for the original apostles and writers of Scripture. Revelation says that the names of the 12 apostles actually are going to be inscribed in heaven on the walls of the holy city. And guess what? None of us are on the list. <laughs> and there ain't nobody I've seen on TV that's on that list either. And I'm not dissing that. Just beware is what I'm trying to tell you. There are roles, but not in the sense of the initial original apostles Jesus, Jesus chose. Some are called to be prophets. Now, what's the role of a prophet? The role of a prophet is gifted men and women who boldly stand on the truth of God's Word and powerfully reveal and present His Word. This gift is revelatory. In other words, it, brings, it pulls the curtains back and shows you things that you can't see apart from the ministry of that prophetic Word. It is powerful. It's revelatory. It helps you see things you can't see. Sometimes those things that you see are things you don't want to see. It's like motives. <laughs> the prophets are those who are given a strong, mighty word. This is not spiritual fortune telling. There are actually people now who are, if you call them up and make a certain pledge to the ministry, they'll give you a personal prophecy. Be Aware of that. Jesus will give you a word for free. <laughs> you don't think you have to say these kind of things. Jesus will heal you for free. I know I'm stepping on some toes. A lot of you are really into some of these ministries and everything. Look, you do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. I'm just telling you, 
that you need to look at the scriptures and you need to get your main counsel from the Holy Spirit of God and those mature believers that God has placed in your world. Amen? Evangelists. Those especially gifted in presenting the gospel to the lost and passionately pursuing leading others to Christ. Wow. Notice next, pastors. Now some put pastors and teachers together. Teachers are those who are specially gifted by God to explain to bring light to an explanation of the Word of God. It is a powerful gift. Powerful gift. I walked in the office role of prophetic teacher for many years. It's real. It's powerful. But who gave me that gift? Does he have the right to change the role? Yes or no? You can't be a good pastor if you don't teach. But you can be a great teacher if you don't pastor. Everybody understand that? A pastor... The etymology of that is the Greek word poimenos. It means literally to shepherd, to oversee the spiritual well-being of a flock of sheep. There's only one chief shepherd, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of us are just assistants. We are servants, not rock stars. If you're in the sound of my voice and you are following a rock star, you better find you a servant. Amen. Amen. And servants don't get, servants will admit they don't get everything right. Guess what? You can talk to a servant. You might be able to reach out to that servant, man or woman, and get a response. A rock star, you may have to wait three months to even get an audience. Suit yourself. <laughs> no, I'm serious about that. Suit yourself. These gifts are service gifts. They're not earned. They are given by the Lord. Some put pastor and teacher together. I don't have a problem with that, but I do know that there are certain people who are anointed and called to teach who are not assigned to pastor. The role is to serve the Lord by feeding. Here, here's, what a, here's what a pastor does. Leads, feeds, and protects the sheep. Leads through example, through encouragement, through exhortation, feeds through the teaching of the Word of God, protects through primarily through an intercessory, ongoing, passionate prayer life for the flock. 
because the main protection of the flock is in the realm of the spirit. Part of that protection is also to do what I've been doing the last five minutes, is to warn his flock about some wolves. Amen? Notice that the word there is pastor, not preacher. There are lots of preachers. There are not many pastors. When somebody calls me a preacher, my thought is, well, if that's what I am to you, good enough. But when somebody calls me their pastor, boy, does that ever honor and humble me and encourage me. A lot of preachers, a lot of people can preach. But not all preachers can pastor. Does everybody, does everybody know that? Look, I've been, I'm not being critical. There's an assignment for everybody. The pastor is the primary leader of the sheepfold, that is, the church. How many of you know that God holds somebody primary responsible for what he does? How many of y'all study to minister the word every Sunday to the flock? How many of y'all get up sometimes and can't even get through an hour without a burden to pray for somebody in the sheepfold? How many of you have signed the lease and are personally responsible for all the expenses of the building and all the equipment and everything that goes out of this ministry? One guy did that. Guess who that might be? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. It's supposed to be that way. But what I'm trying to tell you is God holds somebody, bottom line, responsible for the work he does. Somebody is bottom line responsible for what he does, right? And that ain't you. I love input. I really do love input. I'm serious. I take it seriously. I love input. I told somebody the other day, I've been saying no so many times, I feel like a bedsheet. I've been turning people down so much. No. Why? Because there's so many things that I'm asked to do or consider that is not in line with the assignment God has given me or what I think is the well-being of the flock. And guess what? I may be wrong about some of that. But how many of you know, even if you're wrong, you're still responsible? Does everybody get that? I need your prayers. Whoo, man. I, look, I want to serve you and I want you to be happy. I don't like telling you no. I really don't. And if I do, it's only because I see things from a different perspective. And I could be wrong. And when I'm wrong, y'all just pray for me now. And it's okay to tell me I think you're wrong on that, Pastor. I can handle that. No, I can. Every born-again child of God 
Every sheep has a shepherd appointed to him or her. Did you know that? If you were born into the kingdom of God, it is inconceivable to me that the Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd, hasn't assigned somebody somewhere to be a shepherd in your life. Somewhere. What is so foreign to our way of looking at things in the Western world is when we start thinking about where do I find a church family, most of the time we don't start with where is the Lord assigning me a shepherd who will pray for me, love me, teach me the word, and walk with me in my life. Most of the time we don't start there. What are your motives for finding a church? For connecting with the shepherd. Do you really pray? I don't want anybody under my sheepfold that God has not connected to me as their spiritual shepherd. On the other hand, I don't want anybody floating around out there who is supposed to be here, but for whatever reason has followed the traditions of men and thought and have, and have looked for a church on the basis of motives that are, may or may not be right on line. There's some motives out there that are inferior. Some people are looking for a church to find a mate. They want to find somebody to marry. Some people are looking for a church based on, can I find a, a circle of friends? That's my main deal. I want, I want some people who are like me, a circle of friends. Some people are looking for a church for convenience sake. I want a place where when I come in, I can just have a little bit of time for myself. I want a place for the kids here, for the youth there, for the seniors over there. I want to be around people like me. Look, we are where we are, and that's okay. I'm okay with all of that. I'm okay with all of that. But maybe we should stop and think and pray, Lord of the church, tell me where you have assigned me a faith family where I can receive the word of God, where I can receive and give prayer, where I can come in and worship and be brought into the presence of the, the manifested presence of God through worship. Where can I fellowship with other believers? It's tough here. I know that. I know it's hard. We got babies in here. We got little children. We're a diverse congregation in every way. In every way. The most diverse group I've ever ministered to. Just pray that the Lord would show you where you're supposed to connect. Because, can I tell you something? That shepherd has something for you that you're not going to find anywhere else. Jesus did it. He used the word shepherd to call himself. I am the shepherd of the sheep, he said, the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. He calls shepherds. So get there, wherever that is.
If it's not here, get there. None of those things. Look, I'm not being critical about any of those things that I mentioned because they're human needs and they're couched in the realm of spiritual things and I'm okay with all of that. But I believe the highest and best is for all of us to seek, Lord, you're the shepherd of the sheep. Where should I be and under whose leadership should I be? And let the Holy Spirit dictate that to you. It'd be wonderful If you could find all those things you're looking for in one place, that doesn't always happen. Pastor, why is it that this church is just, this faith family is not for everybody? Well, and some of you have brought people here to visit and they've come one time and it's been disappointing to you that they didn't stay. There's, there's a variety of reasons for that. And all of them are okay. But I'm gonna, I want to tell you something here just out of my heart. For you to connect here, it has to be the right time. It really has to be the right time. And you're probably going to have to pursue this Finding this faith fellowship is probably based on pursuing a a deep need that you hadn't been able to get met in a traditional place. Remember, need and desire are the two driving forces behind why we make decisions. A perceived need or a perceived desire or, you know, it is, I, I, I desperately want this. I need this, and it has to be the right time. Are y'all listening to me? Created excitement is contagious. It's magnetic. It's hard here because you've got to create your own excitement. There's no band and light show. I'm not criticizing that. There's no band and light show. There's no visuals. There's no outside system to court you. Nobody's picking you up on a golf cart. Nobody's getting you in here. And there's not a swarm of people around you telling you how wonderful you are and great to see you here. And all of that's good. There's not a thing wrong with any of it. It's just not what happens here. It's not in our spiritual DNA. There's no outside meetings here to try to get you involved in all kinds of ministries. You've got to make your own relationships. I know this sounds like heresy, but you have to form your own small groups. You've got to let the Spirit lead you to those relationships where you should invest. We just don't fit the mold, and it has to be the right time. I've, I've been, uh, I don't w- watch a lot of Christian TV, but I was flipping the other day, and almost every time I flip on the Christian TV, I see the pastors of these large places, and um, most of them uh, are ministering to their congregation. 
their shirt tails are out, they have spiked hair, and pointed shoes. <laughs> now I want y'all to take a good look as long as you can right here. I can't do the pointed shoes. And you know where I'm going with the spiked hair. And I want to thank people like those on the back row and Jay and Sharon right here and these on this row and all of these. We have an increasing number of young people. I want to tell y'all something. I am just old school. There's some, Dr. Real could identify with this. I can't be comfortable when I stand up in front of a group to minister the Word of God without dressing my best. I'm just old school. I'm sorry. I want you to wear your shirt tail out. I want you to wear your jeans. I want you to be as comfortable as you can. Just give me the grace to be old school. I'm not going to change. It's different. But here is why mainly we're different. Look at that verse. He calls some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And notice why he did it, verse 12. Why did he call people like me? And by the way, do you know that statistics show that one reason, the main reason why most little startup fellowships that are home churches, etc., that are made up primarily of laymen who are well-meaning, the primary reason why they don't work their, their shelf life is two to three years is because there's no called out leadership. That's what the statistics say. Notice what we're supposed to do. Jesus gave some to be all these offices for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ until we all come to a mature, full knowledge of Jesus. For the equipping of the saints. One reason why we're so different, and I want to tell you something. Out there on the cart before you leave, Wayne Gillum wrote a great article for a Christian magazine on about programs in church. Wayne and Deborah have been on the staff of traditional churches for over 20 years out in Texas. They are a blessing to me and to this church. They understand some things. But notice verse 12. The main reason why it's so different is the model. What we see is the model of the church is verse 12. The main reason they, God has, Jesus has called us is to equip the saints. Everybody say, that's me. For the work of ministry. Do you know what that means? My job is not to try to get as many people as I can to come in here and help me do the ministry. That's not my job. You are the ministry, not me. Amen. You are the ministry, not me. 
You are the main player. I'm just the coach. You are the ministry. Your family, your life's work, the assignment God's given you right now in your work, that's where the ministry is, not here. Every one of you are the, you are in the ministry. My job, their job, their job is to equip you, to get you equipped, encouraged, taught, interceded for, so that you can faithfully do what the Lord has assigned you to do. The ministry's over there at Alabama Bankers Bank. It's in the home. The ministry is in the real estate field out there. The ministry is you. Your family and your life where you have influence. People get frustrated. What does the church offer me to do? I want to minister. That's the wrong model. Those little children and grandchildren, that work, that is the ministry. God wants to bless the ministry. He's given you. This is a session for you to get equipped and encouraged and to come into the presence of God and hear the Word of God and have a faith family and have prayer and pray and receive prayer and invest in this work. The ministry is not y'all come and help us. It is y'all come and go do your ministry. And that's one reason you have to be ready for this because we are comfortable with what we've seen over and 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 over again. And we tend to think that church ought to be like what we had experienced and seen as the model. The only model for church is right here, this book. The direction of the Holy Spirit to fulfill this book. What is that saying? Do you know if you develop that philosophy, you will understand the truth? And that truth is, you are a whole lot more important than I am. You're the ministry. What you do is many times greater than what I do. You're not looking at a rock star here. You're looking at a servant you are the ministry. And I want you to know I am so proud of you. It humbles me to think that God has called a sheepfold who are not satisfied with, with just entertainment, that they want the deep things of God and are willing to get in there and struggle and, and actually pursue something that is against a model they've always seen. You are the ministry. That job you have, that work you're doing, that school you go, that's your ministry. Wayne's article in my sermon today is not meant to be in any way critical 
or throwing stones at anything or anybody that's not like this. There's a lot of different assignments. I just wanted it to bring clarity to what we see God is doing here. Well, let's all stand. Holy Spirit, please bear witness in all of these, how valuable they are to you. That you've chosen and assigned some of us to serve at such a high level that we're to equip them to carry out what you've called them to do. Thank you that they are the church. Minister to the mothers in here. So many of them, Lord, work so hard on Sunday mornings to get up and to get their children dressed and bathed and in the vehicle and over here. What a sacrifice. Lord, honor their sacrifice. And I say to you, Lord, I will permit the little children to come to you and not stand in any way. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for all of those you've led this way. Bear witness in their spirit, man, of what you're seeing and what you want. And I pray your anointing on their ministry. Take their ministry to a new level, Lord. Give them greater anointing of your power. Give them greater resources. Take them to a place where, Lord, they're not distracted by a shortage of resources. Take them on into that place, Lord, where they serve you fully, fully attentive, without distraction, Thank you for this flock. Father, for those who are just on the bottom in their emotions, lift them up, Lord. Strengthen them, renew them. Thank you that after every crucifixion there is a resurrection. Give them special grace and power as they walk through this season. Thank you for your favor and your ability on them. Lord, we cast all our cares over on you today, knowing that you care for us. In the mighty and holy name of Jesus. And all the people said, see you next week. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.